1952, the United States Air Force began to experience an unprecedented buildup of reports of sightings of unidentified aerial phenomenon. Project Blue Book had been tasked to investigate these sightings, which included events like the Washington Flap. These sightings had become such a large concern that the Director of Central Intelligence, General Walter Bettel Smith, issued a memo voicing his worries these events could be seen as some kind of psychological warfare and perhaps begin widespread panic. The year prior, even before Project Blue Book had been formed, the U.S. Air Force had already begun investigating these occurrences and collecting interviews with witnesses. One of the earliest cases to be investigated was a sighting that happened in a town in Northeast Texas. Over a period of several days, witnesses reported strange luminous objects that silently passed over their town in close formation at tremendous speeds. This event was closely followed by another even more fantastic mass sighting just 30 miles east. This case file joined the theorists as they make a mess of Texas in the Lubbock Lights and Leveland UFO cases. Welcome to Alien Theorist Theorizing Case File 171. Who is in possession of the world's oldest tractor? I'm Braden. I'm Dan. I'm Sal. And I'm Andrew. You know, digging into this one, it, it, it's very fascinating. Again, I just couldn't stop after last case file digging into who, in fact, owns the world's oldest tractor. <laughs> Is that why you started it like that? I'm finally got, well, I made the joke that I was going to do that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the Lubbock Slice Lights slash Level Level Land. How do I, how was the exact way to say it? Level Land. Level Land? Yep. Uh, and, and the Texas Landing. There was something now I wanted to say at the beginning of this show, but I fucking can't remember now because of all this fuckery. I think I was going to make mention about our other show, Cosmic Channel, Sunday nights. Uh, it's our live call-in show. If you don't know, now you know. Uh, you can find that Spotify or anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, we'd prefer Spotify, but it's out there, Cosmic Channels. Uh, look it up. It's basically this show, but powered by you. Well, if you're listening to this, then you are already on Spotify, and it's a quick little, just a search Cosmic Channels, boom, another 19 episodes of your boys sitting there. So go check it out. Anyways, let's get right into, uh, let's mess with Texas tonight, boys. <laughs> oh, shit. So we're talking about the Lubbock Lights, which if you are familiar with UFO uh, or UFOlogy in Texas, you probably have heard of it. I know a couple of listeners have suggested us uh, looking into this specific case. Uh, it was an event that took place on August 25th of 1951 in the city of Lubbock, Texas. This one is so compelling because of the, I guess you could say the quality of witnesses, not necessarily the quantity, but the quality of some of the witnesses, uh, starting off with a handful of scientists and professors from the Texas Technical College that were hanging out, having a uh, summer, late summer barbecue in the backyard of one of the geology professors, a Dr. W.I. Robinson. 
Oh. Along with him, you had the uh, Dr. A.G. Oberg, who was a professor of chemical engineering. And then you had W.L. Ducker, who was the head of the Department for Petroleum Engineering. So, these... so a bunch of nerds having a cookout. Yeah, I think nerds. they're just they were having a couple <laughs> sipping wine and doing math. Staring at the skies. Doing, oh, yeah. man, everybody knows nerds go the hardest. Oh, yeah, drinking yeah. hard, sketching. Bro, they're probably on LSD having a fucking time. <laughs> Well, it's a geology professor, a chemical engineering professor, and the head of so the petroleum engineering. So I'm pretty sure all these guys were with big oil. Yeah. Oh, so they're really partying. Oh. They got the money. Oh, they got Coke money. <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah. He's like, check out these rocks. Yeah. <laughs> so late in the evening, all three men reported seeing a number of uh, unfamiliar lights, a formation of lights that raced without any noise across the sky from horizon to horizon in a brief few seconds. So this was something that they they remarked on as being completely strange. It's not something that they recognized. It was not a phenomenon that had been repeated or they had seen before. And they said that they had the impression that there was a, probably about 30 of these lights and giving off their own light uh you know they described them as luminous so they seem to be emanating their own light it wasn't a reflection or anything like that and they seem to be arranged in a the shape of a crescent like a flying v right kind of so, looked like ducks fly together <laughs> quack 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 uh, zell did you have a picture of what they what they had claimed to have witnessed up I do have a picture. I cannot play it on the live stream because we don't uh, actually. Oh yeah, that's we don't right. own we it. Don't but uh, own there is pictures. a pic. There Hashtag is a picture. Look it up. Look it up. If you search <laughs> Lubbock Lights, there's not a lot of pictures. You can easily find the renditions nope. or the the reprints. Was there any color to these lights? So of these, I I didn't get any colors from them. I, from what of the reports that I read, they didn't really describe any changes in color. Just seemed to be a, a described as like a general luminosity. So we have a bunch of nerds in the having a barbecue, staring at the skies. They witness a on a lot of drugs. <laughs> that no, allegedly, allegedly. This is this is Texas, not California. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're just drinking good old Budweiser at this point. And everything's bigger in Texas. They're doing more drugs. That means bigger drugs. No, just tall. They're probably tall sh cans. shooting their bottles off the fence, off each other's heads. With their revolvers. Yeah. Uh, so they didn't just see one. Uh, formation of these lights. They actually saw a repeat performance where they said they saw another similar formation go across the sky. They reported this to the papers and the, uh, like the, I guess their local paper, one of them was the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Being the uh, scientific minded people that they were, they started their own informal investigation since there wasn't really any at that point, I don't think Project Blue Book wasn't known yet. And so those things, they didn't really have anybody to really start investigating on their own. Like, yeah, there's no MUFON back in the day. So these these are just three professors who, you know, this sparks an interest in them. Like, well, what the hell did we see? So they they start to try to figure out what exactly it could have been. Yeah, because they, they see him this night a couple of times, but they also see them they actually see them more like for over the next little while, they see them a bunch of times. So they start, they start like calculating and trying to, trying to guess their speed and note, note their angle. 
And they always seem to like travel from north to south. So this seems like a repeating pattern of whatever these UFO lights are. Right. So they they collected reports uh, totaling a number of 12 reported sightings uh, among them and their friends uh, in the weeks after the 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 first August 25th sighting. So the initial sighting, they seen it twice in a night. And then in the subsequent weeks, they seen it 12 more times from different like different people reporting. And everyone kind of everyone kind of cooperates the same type of formation and speed like over the horizon at the same north-south angle. Right. So this continued for at least five more days. You had, you know, you had these lights going across the night sky. So people were started to look for them. And as more people started to look for them, more people repeated, uh, reported seeing the same thing or a similar sight in the night sky. One of these people was 18 year old Carl Hart Jr. Uh, he used an, he actually used a Kodak 35 millimeter camera to snap at least the two photos, probably the two primary photos that will come up in a, in a search of the Lubbock lights. Like those are the ones that he took of these objects. And if you look at them, they're these objects that look just and it's beads good. Of light. It's good for it's good for like. Taking photos with even a good camera at night is difficult. Yeah, low light's hard. Right? It, low light is hard. So, like, the fact that he caught anything is, like, good. And, like, these are not... I would not say these are bad pictures. They're, are they the best? No. But, like, they are not... Like, corroborated with the, like, eyewitness accounts. These are good photos. These are really good. This is the best you could ask for, especially in 1951. And they all resemble like the the U shape or V shape. Some of them a little blurrier than others, but pretty much you can tell that there's multiple objects. It's hard. You can't really, it's tough to count the dots that kind of blur into each other. But like, but like what do they say? Like about 20 dots, like 20 yeah, objects. About 18 to 20 was their estimate. Yeah. But so let's say, let's say 18 or 20 in pretty much all the accounts of the same type of thing over that, over the same time period. Right. And, and most of the, most of the witnesses didn't report any type of sound. So it, it didn't, didn't really fit the, uh, you know, fit into the checkbox of being some type of aircraft or thing like that. They didn't hear any propellers. Uh, they probably wouldn't have been fully familiar with the jet engine aircraft, or you probably would have heard one, uh, a 1950s, uh, jet engine back then early you didn't yeah. have the kind of tuning that you have today to keep them a little bit quieter. Um, but w at least one witness, uh, a Roger Dodds heard what he described as a slight rustling or like a whooshing sound as these objects passed overhead. But that was only from like from one guy heard a sound, right? And he, he right. described one as, person recorded, you know, a recalled hearing some type of sound. And all, all other people who had sightings at different places reported no audible, nothing audible from, from the formation. So you, you have these tons of people reporting seeing strange objects in the sky. It's 1950, post-World War II. You've got all kinds of things going on. The Air Force is now fully engaged in identifying or they're getting engaged or they're beginning to kind of ramp up their efforts in order to identify anything that's in the sky. Enter Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, who was the Air Force Ooh. officer who would be the first director of Project Blue Book, which, right. you know, if you know anything about UFO investigation, you know about Project Blue Book. And he traveled to 
Lubbock to actually investigate this case. So he investigated it personally. He took a personal interest in the case. <laughs> well, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm kind of of the opinion that it's like Project Blue Book was kind of a you know early days. It was probably just like a pet project, and I. <laughs> I don't personally know Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, and I can't really find anything about him, but I would assume that it's kind of like he probably felt like he was getting the uh, the short end of the stick. They kind of sending him out. Yeah, we're going to send you out to Lubbock, Texas. You want me to, to do what? Check this out. You want me to do what? <laughs> what? 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 Go out to Texas? Better than desk duty, I guess. Go. <laughs> yeah, because this is before, like, at, yeah, the early days would have been like, you want me to investigate lights in the sky okay and this yeah, is this they probably is, didn't even they probably didn't even reimburse him for transportation no well, <laughs> pay out of pocket and this is like and this is a time too you got to remember where it's like you know lots of people who come forward with ufo stories in this like in the early days in the 50s and stuff were ridiculed like they it was not a lot of people would come forward because you know these small towns people would think you're fucking crazy yeah. So throughout Ruppelt's investigation, he does gather together some interviews of people of witnesses who who saw these objects or said that they witnessed these objects over the uh, over the span of time from which they were seen. And he gets a couple of explanations uh, from both people. And then he kind of offers at the end, he kind of offers their own explanation so one of the first people uh that he or one of one of the people that he interviewed that had a seemed to have an explanation was uh, a rancher in brownfield uh texas and this rancher claimed to have heard the in quotations i quote this unmistakable call of a plover <laughs> one of those tiny I birds love that because he's like he's going there he's like you ever see you sir you seen anything weird around these parts and he's like, it's funny you should ask, Captain. And he spits probably some <laughs> chewing tobacco. Ping! Hits a thing and he goes, last night I heard the unmistakable call of the plover. <laughs> what the fuck? Who says that? Who talks like that? A plover is a tiny, they're a very common bird, but they're pretty small. Right. There's a, there's a bunch of different kinds of kind plover. of variants yeah, of them now, so you kind of have yeah zell you seem pretty versed in what a plover is can you can you give us the call <laughs> i want to hear it i just you know <laughs> it's pretty good. unmistakable followed by a three wish see i was this is a part where i was confused and i saw it in your notes dan and i also saw it in the readings is it the rancher who's quoted of saying to the captain that the oily white breasts of the plover could easily reflect city lights. Is that what the farmer is telling the captain? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that's in the report. I, I'm sure that he, he heard the sound of a plover. So he, Well, now, I am just a humble farmer, but if you want my two cents, there was an unmistakable call of the plover, and that could Easily, their oily breasts could account for reflection of city lights. If you ask me, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. <laughs> and the captain's like, this is gold. I'm writing this all down. Well, His job's done. He's like, yeah, it. perfect, done. Get out of this fucking shithole. Go back. Yep. Present this paperwork. Bingo, bango, bongo. Yep. Dunzo. But did this farmer mention anything about this? Like, how fast can they fly? Like, from horizon to horizon and 
a handful of seconds. I'll tell you what, those birds are mighty fast. <laughs> With their slick, oily bris. <laughs> they just glide right through yeah. the sky. We call them the Southern Peregrine Falcon. The second fastest bird <laughs> in North America. Where's this act? That accent went south. Yeah, I don't know what quick. happened to it, but it kind of went southern. <laughs> I don't know. My Texas is not very good. So he also invest. He also interviewed a T.E. Snyder, uh, who was a resident of Lubbock uh, on Route Three in the area, and he reported that he had saw something, or he described seeing the sighting, the objects that people had described seeing, <laughs> and he believes that it was definitely. Ducks. I see them. Yeah, he doesn't go. I see them. I see them. He doesn't go into describing, um, you know, go ahead and accounting for the the speed. So, like you said before, he doesn't really go into detail or explain how these objects could move so quickly, or these ducks could fly at near what seems like near supersonic speed to cover from horizon to horizon in such a you know, short well, of They obviously time. have Launchpad McQuack piloting whatever they're <laughs> flying. They're fucking flying, man. Well, at, at least no with the at least with the duck explanation, they are flying in a V. At least ducks fly together. We know this. Ducks fly together. The whole yeah, world it knows back. that. A plover does not make sense. It's a small bird, and I don't think they even fly in that type of and formation. Everyone knows. Like, listen, is it that outrageous to say that maybe ducks have some sort of bioluminescent that we haven't? discovered yet because we just found it in wolverines mm. or whatnot Tasman so, tasmanian right? devils tasmanian devils right so maybe in certain climates they just get supersonic speed and unbelievable <laughs> like brightness so well, they absorb you know, the sunlight and the absorb the know, sunlight in the day and well, you know just, what their deal is they, they know on the other side of the horizon they got an old lady sitting there with a paper bag full of fucking breadcrumbs and like we gotta go boys yeah. we gotta fucking go so a certain type of duck can absorb sunlight, giving it supersonic flight power and a bioluminescent glow from the underbelly. Listen, we know close. that ducks, first of all, we know the ducks can be fucking millionaires. We know the ducks can fight crime. We know that they can play hockey. What's to say they can't fucking fly supersonic speed there's, across There's the a good argument to be made that ducks may be the most versatile animal on the planet. I, yeah. I <laughs> all right, make the argument. <laughs> We just made it. And it just made the it fact for me. that Zell is willing to, to to paint ducks in a good light like that is enough for me. We know it. He's he's a hater. They're a beautiful beautiful animal. Can they fly from horizon to horizon in a few seconds? No. Uh, the, I mean, to, uh, to be honest, the fact that he would even listen to these stories and be like, "Well, that solves that." He just shows how interested he is in his job. He's like, "Yeah, yeah. cool. That works <laughs> for me. Thanks, thing. man." Yeah, some guy said it was ducks. Done. So he did he did manage to interview a couple of game wardens and you know asking about the nature of plovers and could this p- phenomenon have been chalked up <laughs> to a flock of them flying at night perhaps reflected in the lights of one of the the nearby drive-in theaters uh in in the evening could, could that have possibly been an explanation the game wardens that he seemed to interview came to the conclusion that m- the plovers that would be native to the area normally never fly in flocks larger than three. Can't consider that even a flock. Right. And so, I, I mean, I looked up pictures or I looked up videos of, of plovers like moving in, in, in flocks 
And uh, the only ones I could really find are the like the beach plovers. Like you, you can see, you can find them on uh, like on the Gulf Coast of of Texas. Uh, and those ones fly in large flocks, but they move in you know in like clumps, similar to the like you know like the big swarm of of birds. You know, not the big, not the single formation V, but they kind of flow it fly in the big kind of fluid uh, giant flock. So, I, you know, the game wardens, people who would be familiar with this type of animal said that this there's there's a very small chance that that's that's what it was or that you could say there's a chance to explain it <laughs> you're saying there's a chance I, well that's how that conversation must have went he must have gone to them and been like you seen those lights there warden you hear about them and the, the board's like yeah it's crazy this is crazy stuff and he's like i'm getting reports that it's un, unmistakably plovis and he's the warden's like no, no, <laughs> that's impossible. He's like ducks. No, no, that's it's impossible. He's like, is there a chance it's birds? He's like, probably not. Probably, probably not. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> You're saying there's a chance. Takes everything. Interesting. And then he writes it down. Think about the reflection that, like, the amount of like, sure, if you're flying by the drive-in, like, big screen, and the bird is low enough to the light, you might like you'll see the reflection off the bird. But as soon as that bird, you know, goes up a, a, like a couple hundred meters, let alone from horizon to horizon, there's no way you're going to, what are you reflecting? Like what kind of light source is reflecting back? In Canada, we have a shitload of birds. We have fucking all sorts of waterfowl, the fucking fabled Canadian goose, all those. And I have never looked up at, at night and been like, oh shit, that's bright. Those geese are reflecting the city lights. <laughs> No, at, holy! Look at, at those babies move. And in in Kelowna, like usually in in colder places of Canada, the geese fly south. But in Kelowna, it doesn't really get cold enough, so they stay around here all year, shitting on everything. And I've never yeah. seen them glow in a flying V at night, and they're always around. I, I've never seen a duck glow, and there's lots of ducks. Yeah. So right there's I, tons of birds, seagulls. There's tons of seagulls where I live. I've never seen seagulls. Glow it dark. Okay, so I think it's pretty easy to say like the bird, the bird angle. Yeah, right. Uh, Ruppelt even took the pictures, the photos uh, that had been taken of these things, so that the famous photos of the Lubbock lights, and he took those to Doctor J.C. Cross, who is Texas Tech's uh, uh, department. He was the head of the Department of Biology, and he took a look at those photographs, and you know, based on those photographs, he said it. it Definitely, and he's quoted as saying, it definitely wasn't caused by birds. Boom. There you go. Not caused by birds. So therefore, these bunch of nerds seen doing this home research, let's say, the first, they're like the first MUFON here, or got to be some of the first ones. What uh, what do they deduce? Do they, is it still unexplained to them? Or They're, they're still, uh, I they didn't really come up with an explanation as far as I as I can tell. Yeah, I couldn't. No, really they have. were just, they they just basically gave facts and said, we don't know what it is. Right. Like so, facts of their hypothesis and their like the test they did or ran. Yeah. Or they didn't have enough information. They felt like they didn't have enough information to deduce exactly what they saw, which which is a scientific answer, which is a perfect scientific yeah. answer, in my opinion, where it's like I we don't have enough information. Yeah, we don't have accurate enough information to make a definite statement on what we saw. Which is interesting because I'm sure there was town folks that were maybe thinking UFO, 
but these professors i couldn't read anywhere where they said that they just said i don't we don't know we don't know what it is but the air force comes out in a press conference after after being like it's birds and then eventually that being basically disproven the air force comes out and says well it wasn't birds but they weren't spaceships somewhere between <laughs> they weren't spaceships and i was like who who said spaceships so like i i feel like i should know this but it, it was what the late 40s that the ufo craze kind of started well, like when was roswell like 47 was roswell 47 roswell was roswell? 47 so late 40s so yeah it you you would think that people would kind of jump to ufo at this point right yeah people in people in town the air force comes out and they're like it wasn't spaceships. We've positively identified the cause of the Lubbock lights. And uh, it's very commonplace and it's an easily explainable natural phenomenon, uh, says all of our scientists. What scientists? Uh, we're going to keep his name secret because we he likes his privacy. Right? He, he lives in the town over. <laughs> He's like from another town. All right. Well, so, like, you wouldn't that, know him. You, you guys would know. That's all good and well, then. But what's the what's the anomaly here? What's the scientific evidence? Well, it's just a, it's a it's a really like it's it's so stupid that I even have to talk about this because it's so commonplace. It happens all the time, literally, and it's easily explainable. It's just such a like common natural phenomenon. It's what what phenomenon? It's so easy to explain. What phenomenon are we talking about? Yeah. Well, it's like a common natural phenomena yeah you said how that. explainable is it it's easily explainable i'm i by natural phenomenon so listen, easy that you haven't explained it yet though so no but i have explained it i don't know if it's you simpletons down here in the south but it's a commonplace Ooh, natural okay, phenomenon easy, easy, what aren't easy. you understanding it's super easy it's super easy to get and you guys aren't getting it we're more intelligent than you think um so exactly what kind of phenomenon is it an easily explainable natural phenomenon. Like what aren't you getting? Are we talking are we talking like a Mercury reflection, Venus reflection? What kind no, of no ball light? What are you talking about? What are you guys what, are you guys scientists? You don't know what you're talking about? Swamp gas. It's easily explainable natural phenomenon. It is, it's commonplace, it happens all the time. That was her that that's their <laughs> legit explanation. Yeah. It bogs my mind that they're just like, yeah, our scientists say it's it's a natural, it's easily explainable natural phenomena. Never once Never. do they explain <laughs> or provide any details on what it is or any information of their scientists that say this. They're just like, yep. They didn't even leave it vague by saying like weather phenomenon or atmospheric no. phenomenon. They just say easily explainable. <laughs> it's like one of those ones of like, it's so easy. Why don't you tell me? Because I like, it's so easy to know. I want to know if you know. Tell me what you know. It's easy. I'm waiting. Tell me what you know. I'm waiting. Yeah. We're, hmm. Hmm. It's hmm. ridiculous. So in 1950, 1951, possibly one of the explanations is that besides a totally perfectly explainable natural phenomenon <laughs> as stated by some scientist who refuses to be identified. From the next town over. From the next town over. You wouldn't know him. You wouldn't know him. Uh, the other possible explanation is that perhaps what the people had seen, they had misidentified uh, as a, it was perhaps a type of flying, experimental flying wing bomber, which the Air Force did have at the time. 
it was that fast and had that many lights? Well, that's it? the other thing. It, you know, those are good questions. So it's like, yeah, why, if it was an experimental bomber, why did it have so many lights? You know, most airplanes maybe like a C-17 maybe has like six. That's a, well, that's yeah. a really big transport plane. We just talked about it last episode of Cosmic Channels with that cowboy pilot who called in. Most planes have the three lights, like the red, was it red and green and white on the back? And then bigger planes might have, you know, some in the middle, but they make more of a triangle. But this thing seemed huge. Now. Sure. What? So when was the U-2? The U-2 was, when did that fly? 1955? Yeah, but a U two a U two is is a high altitude. Yeah. Yes, but I'm just saying. I'm like, if you look at the shape of the U two, do we know what happened to the U one? So oh, you're saying t right? test flight, test flight of experimental aircraft, right? I mean, it's lower flight. Every... They put lights on it because they want it, they want people to spot it because they want like the you know the military air base and stuff to be scrambling to be like, we're not getting anything on radar, but everyone's reporting these lights. That's how they know it's working, right? Because everyone's reporting that they see it, but you're not getting any confirmation from I mean, any every kind of instrument. City in fucking Texas has an Air Force base. <laughs> it, it, it's one. it's crazy, but yeah, every single one. But the speed, like what does Lubbock have? Like the intercontinental, air, like air airport or They're something. They're the intercontinental champions. Yeah, of Air Force um, bases. Of air Force bases. <laughs> <laughs> the speed and the sound that's the only thing that i can't explain well, with my u1 bomber theory yeah like the the speed is the main thing the sound like if it was far enough away and it was experimental aircraft let's say and they managed to manage to make it more silent than a like a, a modern or a jet of that time okay let's say sound okay maybe the it's bouncing the wrong way you can't hear it sure but the speed at, at like these observers who are all like they're all trained scientists in their own field. They're like, yeah, horizon to horizon in a handful of seconds, multiple times. And then other people corroborating the story. Now, the only thing that I don't like, I, to me, what matters here is the fact that all of these people are corroborating the story. There's, there's, it's, it's not just a few people. There's a whole bunch of people that explain the exact same thing. The fact that like everything you read, it's like it had credible witnesses, couple professors. I'm like, yeah, but they weren't like aerospace professors or like had they like weren't professors in the fucking realm of anything that would be. So it's like to me, I'm like, that doesn't weigh on me that much that like the like, oh, a fucking geology professor and the petroleum engineer fucking saw lights. But good thing they saw them because they're so educated in petroleum, which has you know, we know that really ties into any kind of aircraft. I mean, your horizon to horizon in a few seconds, like you won't even to know need to know math that like no nothing can fly that fast. No, no, but that's corroborated by like a bunch of a bunch witnesses. of people. Like I'm just saying, if it was if it was only the three of these guys, and they're like you're like, oh, these are random professors, I wouldn't weight that higher than I would if it was three random people who were like, I see this thing went horizon to horizon in an instant. Like that little detail to me is always a weird one with this one where it's like they weigh these professors. Maybe it's just because they first saw it, but they it, it seems like their account is weight, like is, weighted more, is worth more than anyone else's. Was corroborated, was that your word of the day? 
Did I, feel I say like, you've like used 35 it about times? 14 times. times. Did, you know what I did you know what I mean when I said I it? I definitely though? know what you mean. You okay, definitely good. made that <laughs> very. Yeah, uh, Brayden's using the word a day calendar that we got him for Christmas. It's helping. That's what I'm saying. It's really helping. Collaborated. <laughs> did you practice it a few times in the mirror before the podcast? Collaborated. Good. Yeah. I mean, on that point, I mean, they are trained in like more of the scientific method. They wouldn't just like, they wouldn't just throw it out as easily as someone in their backfield. Like I've seen a UFO. They would say they seen it and they would all get together and sink it. And they would probably just by the nature of their field doesn't not, not, not necessarily that they're like, you know, rocket scientists. Yeah, they but, would, they would confirm or give support to like, yeah, their but I see what you mean. You're finding. Yeah. But if it was, yeah, if it was just them, it'd be harder, I guess, harder to believe the story. But yeah, as so many people have seen it, then I don't know. So Texas being the big state that it is, a, a lot of ufologists or UFO experts will tell you that Texas is, uh, could be considered a hotbed for UFO activity. And another perhaps stranger and perhaps even I would say more well-known in, in the, the circle of, of ufology is the Loveland UFO encounters. Oh, that's a good one. And Dan, just before we get to that one, let's take a quick beer break, refill, then we'll go to the second half of this two-part UFO case file. We'll be right back. So now you have the Leveland UFO case. Leveland, Texas is only 30 miles east of Lubbock, Texas. And so this, this particular UFO case is interesting because it is a, it's very similar to Lubbock where you have a number of witnesses, but instead of having them over a, like a long period of days, you had witnesses over just, you had over 15 witnesses uh, within a span of a couple hours. So on November 2nd, 1957. Oh man, that's 1957. That's a good year. Just gonna put that out there. It's the last time the Detroit Lions won anything mean <laughs> meaningful. It was did a they fucking win, good year. Did they win a game? Were they? Would they win a game? And they won the fucking league championship, and that's before the NFL was a thing. So technically, it wasn't a Super Bowl. I thought you were starting a skit or something there, but no, we went, no, went right to Lions. Fucking serious. <laughs> Andrew's just reinforcing that the year 1957 was a time when things that will never ever happen again happen. Happen. <laughs> Dan, you're probably right. It's it's fucking. It was the year for fantastic events. Yeah. Unfortunately, I wasn't around for it. Okay. Okay. You might get yours yet. So, we'll see. I doubt it. I really doubt it. So late in the evening, uh, around 11 p.m., uh, Patrolman AJ Fowler is on desk duty, manning the phones, and he receives his first call of the night of a report of two men sighting. A strain are having a strange occurrence about four miles west of Leveland. So Ooh. the two men were Pedro Saucedo and his friend Joe Salas, who were driving in Pedro's pickup when they saw what they described as a brightly lighted cigar shaped object moving directly towards them on the road. So Fuck. as they were driving, like at car, like at just above like road height. Yeah, low altitude, not high in the sky, like just above them. And as this object approached them, Pedro said that his car engine began to sputter, began to 
turn off and on. So he was having engine trouble. Very common fucking theme mm-hmm. in a lot of these encounters, isn't it? Yep. Right. Yep. So you have electrical disturbance in his car. The engine begins to sputter. Uh, right after that, the headlights begin to go out and then the car just rolls to a stop. The engine stops. So here's my question. Like, do we know, like, cause what are the two things that are going to cause that? Like a dead battery and something's wrong with the fucking alternator, right? Like, cause what I don't understand is cause in all these cases, the vehicle normally returns back to function right away, right? Yeah, right away. But, and that, I've never, Which is I've, weird. I've had tons of alternator issues in old beaters when I used to like exclusively drive old shitty cars. And I've Fucking never 94 been, Cavalier. I've never been driving and just been like, oh no, my, all my electronics are dying. And then my car just sputters to a stop. Like at a point, there's a point where like, yeah, the electrical stuff will do this, but like your car runs on fuel and stuff. So it's like, I don't understand how it stops everything. And then it, but then it goes right back to working. You know what I mean? Like that's a, the strange a battery part. doesn't just fucking charge itself. Like it just fucks the spark plugs, I guess. Well, that's, well, that's the thing. If, if it's a, so if say your, if it was your alternator, which charges your batteries as you drive, which fires a spark plug, so with a dead battery doesn't work. It would never turn back on if you're all like, yeah, right. Like that's what I don't understand. Yeah. Like the electric, the interference must be like, it just interferes in the actual entire electrical system of these, like, the, like it's an entire like electromagnetic disturbance and everything just can't operate. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then it just, yeah, it's, stu- it stutters and it, or it turns off. And then when the disturbance is gone, it's allows the electrical system to work again. That's what I think wow. of it. Like it just, it is like interferes with the entire circuit like it draws the energy out of it or something that's how it seems to me so Salcedo would even go as far to sign an actual statement you know describing the object that they see that he estimated that this object traveling down the road towards him which seems to have caused uh you know complete system battery failure electrical failure in his vehicle uh he said this thing was about 200 feet long from end to end and oh, as it passed over his truck, he describes the the sound as being at least like a blast. Like he heard a type of blast and say that it was at least as like a loud as a thunder crack, like a, a peal of thunder coming from the cigar shaped craft as it passed over them. But it, it doesn't seem to be going like really fast, right? It was more of a kind of just traveling over. It didn't, they didn't really describe it as going any uh, a remarkable speed or anything like that. It just passed overhead. Right. So it, it, it doesn't pick up speed at all, though, that because like that's weird. I was thinking about this, too, because in my head when I was reading this, because it does say just pass slowly overhead. But the loud thunder, I was like, did it maybe in my head? I was like, when I read that, I thought, did it hit supersonic speed like instantly or break the sound barrier? And just that was that loud crack. But by all accounts, like it, it does, it just drifts away. Now, I'm not, I'm not quite sure because because of the description of the experience, I'm not quite sure if uh, Pedro, Pedro and Joe actually had eyes on the craft the entire time because they did, they they did exit the vehicle when the, when the when the craft began to, you know, when their car rolled to a stop and the the craft was still approaching their vehicle. They said that they pretty much ducked out gtfo and then <laughs> dove into a ditch on the side of the road thinking something was going to happen you know what they had no idea but they felt like they would be safe on the side of the road with their pretty much you know ducking cover maneuver 
I mean, so, your car's not starting. There's no point sitting in it. Get the fuck out of there, man. I dig it. That's exactly what I do. 200 foot object flying at you. That would be the biggest flying, biggest plane. Like how, like at the time, what was the biggest plane? Like, was it even close to that? Probably 200 feet. 19. Like that's like, that's before we're getting to jumbo jets and stuff, right? That's like, that's we're probably like a, what is it? B-17 super fortress. Like maybe like, I think probably. And that's, that'd be, that'd be probably just as wide as it was long, like with the wings. And this seems to be 200 feet. All not even a B-17. There's a, not the B-17, the B, is it the B-19 would probably be the biggest. Yeah. I have no idea. So I'm just spitballing here. I'm just trying to think. B-19 what. probably. Super fortress. Yeah. The biggest airplane uh, is the Strato launch. It weighs 226,000 kilograms. Uh, and it's 73 meters long, which is 239 feet. That's modern, though. That's the largest aircraft in the world right, right now. Right today. now. That's what I mean. Right so now. This is 200 feet cigar-shaped in 57. 57? Well, okay, let's bring it back to this, though. But, you know, we can... Uh, Howard Hughes H4 Hercules had a length of 66 meters and a wingspan of 97 meters, but it only flew for 26 seconds. Never actually, it never really took, it just got off the ground and they had to land it right away. It didn't really yeah. get up into any altitude. It was controllable. No. I mean, and so this wasn't that high in the ground, up, up in the air. So I guess they kind of would have been able to have a good estimate of the actual size. Like it wasn't, you know what I mean? Because I know when things are really fucking high in the sky, it's really hard to estimate the yeah. size of it. Right, so this is at night, and they said it was illuminated, so it seemed to be getting off in its own light. So I will say that the the wingspan of the B nineteen, the Super Fortress, is two hundred and twelve feet. I will say that, and that it's was quite and that was fine at this time. And which time. would be like if it, we're talking just the wings, that would be cigar shaped, would it not? Probably it could it could be. I don't. I'm not sure if they. They didn't describe the lights as being like separated because if it is a if it is an aircraft, you wouldn't have just like a straight line of lights. Right. It'd be the wing. So tip, they didn't wing describe tip, it yeah. as being a set of lights. It was just illuminated object. So the now the, the B nineteen had actually been retired in, in since nineteen forty six. Well, uh, yeah, only one was built, right? Of uh, the B nineteen. Yeah. Mm, let's see. I thought it was. I thought. In my limited airplane knowledge. <laughs> the, are you talking about the Spruce Goose or are you talking about the, it's, the Spruce it's, Goose as an airplane? Is it the Spruce well, I Goose? Thought, I thought the That's B-19 awesome. was the experimental bomber where they were trying to, where they were, they were seeing how big of a ball, like bomber aircraft they could make. That's, mm. that's my recollection of it. I thought they only made one, but I could be completely fucking wrong. I'm just basing off of a coworker who talks about the shit all day, every day. And I've <laughs> absorbed some of the information third hand. It's a huge plane nut. Yeah. So they were, they were built in uh, So the first flight was 1941. And then about five years later, they were scrapped after that. So they didn't build many. I think there was the plans to convert it into a cargo aircraft, but the modifications, they never finished them. So now you just have these things. So, it still would be extremely strange for a, a retired aircraft to be flying around that you know, close to a, a pedestrian or like a civilian road. Yeah. 
<laughs> so they would still, I'd still chalk that up as to being really fucking weird. Right. And they didn't, there was no sound made until it seemed to make like a, a cracking thunder sound. It wasn't like a slow roar. And then as it went past, right. it I'm went like, quiet. holy fuck, there's a huge airplane on its yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the first call that AJ Fowler receives and a, and patrolman, the patrolman, you know, wrote this off as being like, he thought these people were drunk. That was his explanation. He's like, these people have been probably been drinking. I don't, I'm not going to take this seriously at all. Uh, there's no reason to believe them until about an hour later, about midnight, you have another motorist by the name of Jim Wheeler would call in with another report that he was driving close to the town of Whitherrell, which is about four miles east of Levelin. And he says he came upon what he described as some type of brightly lit egg shaped object that was sitting on the actual road itself, mm-hmm. right in the middle. Sitting on the road. Like parked. On the road. It's interesting, because, like... <laughs> He's out for a beer run. So, Well, you'd think, though, like, if, if it's parked on the road, which would be the ideal landing spat, a spot for, like, you know any what I mean? Like a man-made craft. A large Yeah, like craft. a man-made craft. You know what I mean? Well, just like, any, like... It's a nice straight runway, I'd assume, because, I'd, like, these are flat lands. I'd imagine these fucking stretches of land or, or these stretches of road are super flat and straight. Yeah, but planes but never land thing. on a road unless there's an emergency. Well, except maybe there was, though. Maybe. It's a weird one for me, too, because I'm like, okay, well, that would make sense if you had some sort of airplane that needed a runway to take off and land but if this is some sort of like let's say it's some sort of helicopter or you know vertical lift propulsion you 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 don't have to land you can land anywhere you fucking want anywhere that's flat the road you don't necessarily have to land on the road well that's what makes me think that it's potentially like a a man-made fucking mode of transportation but it was what's this one look like an egg. Yeah, this is an egg. That's what he described, an right, egg-shaped egg. thing. So, I don't know. Back then, you, perhaps you would have, like, very round-looking helicopters at that point. Um, they weren't the kind of sleek ones that we see today, so they, maybe it was something like that. But Mr. Wheeler had the ex- almost exact same experience with his vehicle that Saucedo had, where his car engine stopped and his headlights also failed stripped of power oh i mean it's pretty easily explainable i think what's that well it's 1930 so it's 1957 yep batman's been around since 1939 uses a little emp gun (laughs) kills the fucking power bingo bango bongo this fucking thing you're seeing it's batwing batwing there you go Fucking problem solved. How, how big was this egg-shaped craft? Did, did he say was, was it two hundred feet, the same as the one they saw flying overhead, or was it smaller? Uh, doesn't really say. I don't think. Right? He doesn't really. Yeah, give a I size. don't think he really described it. it just as egg-shaped. So you're saying object. it could have just been the filming of Bill and Ted's Face the Music. What? Spoiler Why? alert! They have a egg-shaped time machine in that one. Oh. <laughs> was it good? Was it I, worth watching? I liked. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I had fun. But we're uh, yeah. we're not saying that's not out of the picture. No, it's not. Nothing's so that's on the table. Ruled so out. Keep so it could have been Batman. It could have been Bill and Ted. Okay, so put those mm. in the possible column. Bill and Ted and Batman. Okay. okay. 
Okay. Or Batman and Bill and Ted. We'll put them in alphabetical order. Okay. So Wheeler would go on to describe that after a brief amount of time of this, this craft or this object sitting on the road, he exited his vehicle uh, in, because it just wasn't going anywhere and looking at observing this object. He said that after a few minutes, probably not a few minutes, maybe perhaps a few seconds, the object lifted into the sky silently at about to about what he estimated about 200 feet and then just disappeared. Mm, that doesn't sound he doesn't like say a, that it left a trail or that it went to any certain type of direction. He says it just any noise, any noise at all when it no disappears noise. crack of thunder Completely silently. See, right there, that, to me, cancels out, Andrew, your theory that it could be some sort of something using the road as a runway, because with any kind of vertical propulsion, you wouldn't need, you wouldn't need to land on the road. Well, you, and also, if you're trying to take off from a landed craft on a road, you'd need to speed up for quite a while, depending on the size. How, sorry, how close was he to this craft again? doesn't really say it prob- doesn't give a yeah, it distance really say how but- far he was but i don't think it was probably well it's got to be far about because yards. again this is texas it's flat yeah. and all you can make out is the fact that it's the shape of a fucking oval an egg yeah an egg you know what i mean so that like i is he close enough to hear it i don't know like, well, I, if it's a jet if it's a jet if you're with well, if, if it's a jet yeah but well, i'm saying if it, i don't know what do we what do we have for helicopters in the in the late 50s nothing that looks like an egg there if we're from far away maybe you're only seeing the fucking cab of it you know what i mean you're not seeing the tail all right but we like we didn't we don't have silent helicopters like that no right there's no silent craft i think we do now do we not not silent nothing silent nothing silent not completely well but that's but that's what i'm saying how far away how far away is he from this let's say how far let's say he's 50 meters he stopped. You would still hear well, 50 meter, boom, meters. Boom, you could hear boom, it. No boom, problem. Boom, boom. And 50 meters. You could see it. Definitely. Well, yeah, so you could a, make, you could definitely easily make out what it was. So yeah. He's close enough to make out the shape as an egg. So he's definitely close enough to hear exactly. any type of takeoff. I know. I don't think so. Like, dude, you could, all he's seeing is that it's a shape like a fucking oval. He has zero other description of this fucking object. Yeah. But, so, but I'm saying he's got to be pretty fucking far away from it. How? Yeah. But how far can you hear a helicopter from a long way? I don't know. Well, that's a good question. Like when we, when we meet patients coming in on the helipad, man, like you'd be surprised. You really don't hear them that from that fucking. Cause they're coming from up. Like it, it, they're above you. If you were, if the helicopter was on the road in front of you and it sounds echoing off the road down between whatever it's there. Yeah, maybe I could be. Wrong. Anyways, I don't know. Kay. I'm just saying, cause I'm, I'm assuming in my head, he's pretty fucking far away. If all he sees is like Fuck, a fucking, we might have to call up a, our fucking. Our flight specialist. Flight specialist. Flight specialist. <laughs> Okay, so we have the 200-foot cigar craft. We got a parked egg-shaped craft. Is there any other sightings of note? So then after that, about 10 minutes later, they they get another phone call, and this is from a 19-year-old freshman going to Texas Tech University. His name is Newell Wright, and he said that he had been driving nine miles east of Loveland when his car also experience the same technical difficulties that the other two previous witnesses experienced three for three three for three and he says that he noticed some type of lighted object on the pavement in front of him and he described this object as being about 125 feet long and 
emanating or being lit a bluish green color. I'm going to go oh. ahead and say this right now that that description to me is just as accurate as the 200 foot one, because as we start to get to something that big, you have no fucking idea. Like you're just stabbing in the dark. Like those ones who are saying 200 feet, that might be closer to 125 feet. You're just like, it's fucking big. I don't know. Fucking like, I've never looked at an object and been like, Holy fuck, that truck is looks like it's 60 feet long ever in my entire life. No. Let's right? either, I have my you, why would you ever do that, though, that to way. a truck? You just don't do that. So it's like it, it's huge. So you just start to think of a number in your head. I think I think that's what happens. So it's interesting that it's on the pavement again, though, like of all the fucking land to occupy. He's they're occupying the fucking pavement. A giant craft this time. So now we got a 200 foot. We got an egg shape. Now we got a 125 footer. All affecting, seems to affect electrical systems in the car. When we, weren't you saying something about drones, Dan? That like when was the first military drone that they came up with? First military drone? Oh, I don't know yeah. off the top of my head. No, the one in the seven, the one in the seventies that came out recently was like that was the first atomic powered drone. So this is still probably too early for it's that. Still a little bit early, and like radio technology yeah. was still there, but I don't think it was fully realized like a radio controlled planes like a full on well and a 125 foot drone that's that's huge they the drones are well, big again but, we've we're not entirely sure like the size i don't know if we can take that for what yeah it okay is. well i don't know you see some, you see something in the road like you see trucks all the time like big semis like oh that's like you know that's 80 foot se like people are you're i have no idea of how long a semi is absolutely zero. Well, you, maybe you don't have a good reference of measurement but like I don't. for anyone who works in measurements or like, you know, you can, you at, by a certain distance, you can give a reasonable estimate. The farther away it gets or the higher it gets, it gets harder. But if it's on the road in front of you and it's taking up, you know, two lanes and you can see front to like, all, it's like, oh, that's like taking up like a row. Of, there's like 80 trees between the front and the back. You, you could probably give a reasonable est estimate. Do we, do we know how far away these guys were? I think there there are a number of other. So I will say that after these phone calls, like like these three witnesses, there are another like twelve more witnesses end up calling by the end of the night and making reports of objects, strange objects in the skies. Uh, another truck driver uh, from Waco, Texas, uh, ex also experienced technical difficulties, so his car also his truck also. So yeah, turned off, had the same experience. And they all reported seeing strange things in the sky. Some reported seeing uh orange object that also faded off into the bluish green color, similar to what was described in the previous encounter. And then some other people said that they saw something else land on the road about a quarter mile from where they were. Mm -hmm. And then you would have e like even another about 1.30 a.m. in uh, Sheriff Weir Clem and his deputy actually called the patrolman, A.G. Fowler, and said that they saw this UFO mm. as well. So we got tons of different sightings from different people at different times throughout the night. And it's startling them enough that, like, they're calling the authorities. And not to mention that, like, if you look at, like, the age range and the type of people, it's like there's no way these people are connected. Like these are individual, I believe that these are individual sightings. 
and there would be no way that these people are all in this together. No. And like, I, I'm trying to think like, it's just it's such a common theme with these encounters with the vehicles losing power and stuff like that. And like trying to look at, like I was looking up when the first maybe like weaponized EMP was used. And that, I think that was like, there was, it says here at 62, you know what I mean? So we're pretty far away from that at like this point. A, like an EMP to shut down like enemy vehicles. Yeah. Like it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's fucking super interesting, man. It's a cool one. Like I, I, my brain the whole time we talk about this kind of shit, it just spins. Cause I want to be like, no, there's gotta be a logical explanation for this, but <laughs> so you would have, yeah. And it's extremely strange with, with all of the phone calls, they estimated that whatever this thing was, this craft or, uh, you know, uh, occurrence, atmospheric disturbance, whatever it was, was in the area of level in Texas, like in the surrounding area, because most of the, most of the sightings are, are localized within a, within a, within a small area. And they thought it had probably been around the area for about two and a half hours. So this thing was either touching, like flying, touching down, taking up into the sky. Most of the people who saw it uh, or were fortunate enough to see it lift off from the ground said that it would, you know, it, it took off into the sky and then it just disappeared. Whether or not it just, you know, perhaps whatever the craft was just turned off its lights and then disappeared. Maybe that's a thing that could that could possibly be an explanation or whether this craft, you know, if it were an alien craft and perhaps it engaged its, you know, cloaking technology or or, you know, it's interdimensional shifting engine and just disappeared. You know, who really knows it is. But, you know, Andrew hits it on the head. It's really fucking weird that all the people had similar I find the the accounts of their vehicles stopping. I found that the multiple accounts, you know, within a short span of time in that area, like their their cars turning on and off. Like I found that disturbing <laughs> a bit. This is got a, this is the first case file we've talked about where that's happened multiple times, right? I think. I mean, so. we've had it. Yeah, there. Multiple. Yeah, times. we've talked about the others where it's like isolated, isolated but, incidents. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like this is the, like this has been widespread. Like how with three, four different accounts of this happening in this one. Yep. Story. Yep. Right. Like that's within within what two hours you were saying two and a half hours two, two two and a half two and hours, and a half hours, hours. perhaps like, yeah. that's fucking weird. Now, Kate, how about this? Right, because it does seem weird that this is landing on roads. You're right. I do believe that's that's a weird coincidence that all these people keep seeing it on roads. And then it keeps fucking up everyone's like electronics. I wonder if maybe, you know, we talked about um, them recovering a craft, craft, uh, crash craft at Roswell. What if this is them piloting said craft and trying it out? Oh, like this is the recovered tech that they're. Yeah. So these are humans operating some sort of craft from outside this world. And the only reason I jumped to that is because of one, that press release saying that we have crafts of, um, not of earth origin. Dan, I know that you've got something to say about that, but still waiting for uh, the, re the recant. It's, it's interesting to me that it's very similar. And like the landing on the road, like if you were worried about this thing and you weren't like, say you're shaky on it, or it's like, you're like, fuck, this is the only one we have flying right now. You would be utmost careful with it. 
So like landing on the road might make sense because you're like, I I, I don't want the ground to be too soft and to sink a leg in. Well, and it's right? probably well lit too, right? Yeah. Like the road's probably well lit. Here's my question though. Do you think this, whatever it's causing this potential EMP or whatever the fuck it is, do you think that's like a side effect of this vehicle or do you think it's like a web it's weaponized? Like that's I what think I, it's don't I think it's a side effect of the vehicle. Okay. I don't think it's weaponized where the, where it's like, Hey, shoot these guys with the fucking, I think whatever this is, is manipulating time and space and gravity in a, a way we don't understand that it just, everything around it just doesn't work. Like, like, how it's supposed to whether it's like so like times freezing vehicles are fucking maybe times freeing yeah right electric because i mean like you don't see other than these vehicles losing power you don't see anything malicious or anything from you know what i mean like there's no reason to make these vehicles lose power nobody's getting abducted that we know of well that's the thing you have all you have so many hallmarks of abduction cases with sans abduction yep Right. Which makes sense to what you're saying then that maybe they're test piling this. Like, right. Like maybe it's the military. You know, we talked about like they have fucking air force bases everywhere there. Right. Maybe this is getting it out of Roswell, getting it out of area 51. And they're now in some sort of Texas airfield base testing out this craft. What about the size though? Because from all accounts, Roswell wasn't 125 or 200 feet. It was like, I'm not sure what the size, but it, they don't say it was like the size of a jet, like a, like this is a large, that's a large aircraft. I mean, I take the size of the grain of salt. I don't know. I just, yeah, but can you, can, can you tell, have, the, tell the difference between 20 feet and 120 feet? Yeah. But it just, again, like, I don't know how close any of these people were. Like all we get is just a random shape. We all have right. no other details than that. Okay. How about, okay. Fair, fair point. How about this then? Forget roswell forget it we know bob lazar uh, on the joe rogan podcast had made mention that wasn't explored about them digging up spaceships i still can't get over our, that our colleague joe rogan colleague yeah, our, yes. our Hello, colleague, colleague podcast yeah. <laughs> and that never was touched on what if this was something that was recovered in operation high jump and brought back oh you're saying you're saying high jump was 46 you're saying yeah Ooh. was it yeah immediately after world war ii 45, 46, maybe 47. It was before yeah, Roswell. It, it's before 46, Roswell. I'm pretty sure. I don't have the date, but it's before Roswell for sure. Uh, the Yeah, high jump was 46 to 47. So you're saying a craft recovered, an archaeological yeah. dig, as Lazar said, that was, for some reason in the episode, for whatever reason, was never explored further. When he said that, and I was listening, I was like, ask about the dig. What about the dig? Where'd they get it? Come on. And then that, that was it. But okay. So they, they recovered this craft from, let's say, Roswell or High Jump. Let's say, just hypothetical. They bring it back. They're flying them around, reverse engineer. Well, but can they reverse engineer it? So they have to be the same size, the same craft, and they're trying to fly it. Yeah. So maybe this is a big one that they found, but it's operational. Now, I'm just saying, like, when I'm looking at this now, when I'm looking at I quickly brought up a synopsis of high jump looking through the lens of this specific Texas case. And we know that Vance and Woodall died during a ship unloading accident. And they don't really say why. Right. Who died? So I'm like, uh, do I know this Vance guy? and Woodall? Oh, okay. Well, if I'm 
I'm looking up. I clicked on his name. It says the official story is that he he died on the Ross ice shelf under a piece of roller equipment designed to pave the ice. It's a terrible way. To well, that die. sounds Ooh, like that, that sounds, sounds exactly like you. A way you would probably die. Yeah, but <laughs> in the Arctic. so how is that a ship unloading accident? Is that like unloading the? I guess your roller. Anyways, Roll, that's, the ship off? that's that's kind of what I'm going to is that maybe in high jump they we recovered craft in Antarctica, and this is one of those craft because we don't know the size of them, and we know we took losses and ship losses, right? Maybe so. It was yeah, hard, allegedly hard to confirm. Allegedly hard to <laughs> according confirm, to but, some Argentina newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so the size, whatever, 125 feet, 200 feet, maybe. If it affects electrical systems and it's distorting like space and time, maybe light is also affected and the thing could be 30 feet, but it looks 200 feet. I mean, you, you could go a lot of different ways, but maybe because, yeah, it doesn't really fit with like other ET ad, like abduction as in this thing just lands. Someone sees it. It goes, what's up? And then takes off. And everyone's like, fuck, call the car. And then everyone phones it in. Like I, there's this thing that's knocking up power to my car. I don't know what it was. Egg shaped. Like maybe cigar this shape. was one of the first test flights of it. Maybe. Right. And they were get and they're like, holy fuck. Like, you know, they're flying around. They don't know what the fuck's going on. They're like, land it, land it, right? Like, get your bearings. You don't know how the navigation works on it. You're fucking lost. Maybe you can't see out the windows, right? Like, who knows? Okay. I mean, so like say if it's operated like telepathically, right? Let's say you get disoriented in it. The only way to re like you're like we got to land and figure out where we are. Like we got to step outside the craft, get our instruments out, figure out where we are, so we can figure out how to get back. What was the closest liquor store to all of these stops? <laughs> <laughs> we got a Charlie Red Star here. It's telepathically controlled. The guys are alcoholics, and it's just taking you near the the closest liquor store, parking on the road, or so human recovered ET craft. ET craft itself coming down observing because this was early on. This is when this is early. People are obviously very aware of UFOs and you know flying discs and all that stuff. But this is one of the first cases where they land on the road repeatedly and knock out people's power. What's a, what? What other theories we got? I mean, helicopter doesn't really make sense. Like a actual like military helicopter. Mm. I don't know. It's a strange case for sure. Yeah, so I will I will say this and kind of uh, to kind of wrap it up if something uh, to say that the the official Air Force explanation for that event had been fall lightning. You well, know, they the did hear that thunder, right? Like, didn't they just describe that initial sound like thunder? The two first people, the first people, yeah, right. So, mm -hmm. but the thing about ball lightning is a lot of a lot of these events. In, in the early days of Project Blue Book, like ball lightning was kind of used as the coverall. It was kind of like this. It's it's ball lightning or I think plasma was kind of like thrown around. Not term ducks plasma. with wet bellies. Not that wasn't. Yeah. Not okay. ducks with or, waxy bellies. That was, that was fucking birds. Oily breasts. Oily, oily breasts. breasts. <laughs> I don't think that came up in a lot of uh, Air Force reports. No. But ball lightning um, later on, you know, I, Heineck and his, uh, you know, his colleagues who worked in Project Blue Book would go back and revisit some of these cases, and they would say how they felt that 
using ball lightning and plasma to kind of explain some of these events was not exactly, you know, they shouldn't have done that because you're using one unexplained, really, uh, you know, not very well understood phenomenon to explain another <laughs> unknown phenomenon. And not, uh, it's unexplained back then. It's still unexplained 50 years later. They still don't right. really know exactly how, what it is. Yeah. It, Heineck and, and some of his colleagues would, would go on to even testify uh, or to make statements in front of a committee of the U.S. Congress, uh, you know, on Project Blue Book, on unidentified, unidentified flying objects. And they would go and mention Levelin specifically as one of those cases of the 5% of the, you know, hundreds of cases that they had formally mm -hmm. investigated. They would say that at least this one is one that they could genuinely say was unexplainable. They, they don't know, 100% don't know what happened. I don't know. I love both of these cases are some of, some of the better UFO ones we've done in a while. I love them. Yeah, really good ones. Hard to disprove or prove, but like there's no like easy explanation that's like, yep, that checks the boxes. Yeah, it's a craft and... But, well, but, other than Batman, obviously. Well, uh, Batman, I mean... Well, Batman checks all the boxes. Batman, yeah, sure. All the time. Sure. Now, sure. I like that. Uh, any other final thoughts that we didn't go over? I know. I think we went through both those cases, pretty much all the main points. Two unexplained, unsolved UFO encounters that still captivate people's attention. Was it like 60 years later? Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into a little bit of space news. Um, well, first off, I. A little Aurora news. I know this is unpopular, but when we started the podcast in 2016, uh, we were slowly entering a solar minimum, which meant that every year we've been doing the podcast, there's been less and less solar activity. We are seemingly on the way out of that. So, you know, we're going to start seeing a rise in Aurora. So potentially it's going to be a good year to keep those eyes of the skies. We don't know for sure yet, uh, but if the trend's going to continue the way it is and the way it has over the past decade, uh, you can kind of see the wave pattern in the sun that we are looking for uh, probably a majority of the year with solar activity. So uh, only time will tell how 2021 will be. But uh, if you're above, we'll above the, how low does it go usually? It's not usually lower than 49 or 50th parallel. If you're above that, Chances are good. If you're below that, sometimes you do get them lower, but they're very rare depending on atmospheric refraction and, and all the other crazy you know, shit. There's, there's tons of different sites you can sign up for for Aurora Alerts. You know, If you're in the zone where they rarely happen, um, still sign up because when they do happen in your area, you're going to know if there's a good chance you see in it. I, but I mean, usually, you know, depending where you are, it hits the news if it's going to be a good one. And it, if you've never seen them, it is mind-boggling watching them yeah it's it's, it's crazy it's something else no wonder like there's like like the like the first nations people of like canada and like like the arctic like base like a lot of gods and stuff off of like the arctic dance because when you watch them so, like if you see i've only seen a couple really good ones because in Kelowna and like at big white you don't get many per year but when you catch a good one and it dances for like half an hour you just stay stare there in awe just like jaw open is it's bananas 
Uh, we also got some footage, uh, the first look at all these mind-blowing photos of the asteroid pieces retrieved from the asteroid uh, Ryugu. Oh, is this is no, the, ja the Japanese uh, Hayabasa 2 mission. Yes. That beat, beat NASA. I think we fucked that up earlier. These guys were actually the first people to scoop something off an asteroid. And yeah. Then they named him after the bad guy from Death Note. Really? Yes. Ah, oh, cool. It looks like it looks like charred. Looks like some ash. It looks like charcoal. Looks like charcoal. It yeah. looks like good. crumpled up, crumpled charcoal. What what did they get? Like a few pounds or something, right? Like two kilos or something. Oh no, nope. five point four grams. <laughs> yeah, not a lot. <laughs> not even close. I fucked that up. Five point four grams of material. Um, they say like dating it. They're saying it's thought to be 4.5 billion years old. So what's, what's Earth? 4.5? What did they say? I don't know. 2020. Too, too old to really fathom. <laughs> 2020. 2020. Earth is 2020 years old. Yeah, 2021 now. Oh, sorry. 2021 years old. Yeah. The last bit of space news. The universe sent us a nice farewell to 2020. <laughs> uh, a space cloud 75,000 light years away uh, gave us an appropriate farewell to the dumpster fire of 2020. Uh, a big galactic fuck you to 2020 uh, was seen by the Hubble. It, uh, newly discovered. It looks like a giant galactic middle finger. And you, you can't share it? I want to see it kind of looks like a middle finger from the side, though, and like the knuckles are cut. Sideways bird. Side yeah, bird. That's big time, yeah, man. It kind of looks like a side bird. <laughs> serious. That's serious business. But if it's a sideways bird, you don't want the fucking sideways bird. Like, I can't share it on the live stream, but let's uh, make someone make a note. We'll post it in the Facebook group. We should cool. probably push, we should start Let's posting all the science alert stuff in the Facebook group. Those guys are awesome. So if you want, if you want to check it out, Facebook group or sciencealert.com, you can't miss it. It is a giant fuck you to 2020. Good riddance, on to a better year this year, by all accounts. Hope, hopefully. Kick rocks. Looking up. It's looking up. See you never. Moving on from the dumpster fire to the ever-burning tire fire. Yes. <laughs> well, tire fires eventually <laughs> go out. They eventually go out. This takes a really, really long time. All right, let's uh, fire up the randomtron. Set it for fan, fan submission. I want to read a fan story tonight. Now, if you have a submission, you can you want your story read on air, uh, send it to alientheorists at gmail.com. Or if you want to tell us your story live, you can call us Sundays on our show, Cosmic Channels, and tell us your stories live. Uh, 1-833-703-0424 is the number for that show. It's uh, 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time every Sunday. Uh, check it out. But here is the story. I don't know if I can use the name, so I'm going to say TF. TF. So this is the first one that I remember. When I was 24, I'm 30 now, I used to stay at a friend's house a few weeks at a time with her, her husband, and her daughter, who was about five or six months old at the time. 
They had a roommate and he had two little boys between the ages of three and six. It was a three bedroom house. My friend, her husband and the baby slept in one room. The two boys had a room with a double bed that they shared and their roommate had the third. When the boys would stay with their mom, that was when I would stay there and help with the baby while my friend's husband was either at work or playing video games. <laughs> a little dig at the husband there. Yep. <laughs> uh, at this time, they had only lived in the house for a few months and they had already told me about some paranormal experiences they had. I don't remember the specifics, but I do remember them telling me that the last people to live in the house were a woman, her two-year-old son, and her boyfriend. They told me that the boyfriend had drowned, had drowned the boy in the bathtub, and he died oh, in the house. Oh, no. Whoa. Whoa. Oh. Whoa. Don't live there. Hey, easy. That's, that's a recipe for paranormal activation, yep. man. I had, I had spent maybe a week there before I had my own experience. It's not a particularly exciting story. I feel like everybody wants to hear about actual sightings and shit, but those people have no idea how incredibly rare and special those experiences are. Anyways. Or terrifying. So one night when the boys were with their mom and the roommate was out getting drunk with his marine buddies, I was getting ready to go to bed. I'm an insomniac, so it takes me hours to fall asleep, no matter how tired I am. So I believe it was about two or three in the morning when I finally settled into bed in the boys' room, which was at the very end of the hall. The room next to it was the roommate's room, which was empty, as I said, because he was out. Everybody else in the house had gone to bed hours ago, and I was just laying there thinking when I heard something coming from the other end of the hall. The door was closed, but I could hear what sounded like footsteps at the end of the hall. At first, I thought maybe my friend got up and was coming down the hall to talk to me. But as the steps got closer, I realized they were really light steps and really close together. The only way I could describe them is like the footsteps of a toddler, kind of off balance and one right after the other, really close together. It definitely sounded like somebody with short legs. Anyways, the steps kept getting closer and closer until I could hear them right outside the door. And then they continued. I heard these little footsteps come all the way up and stop right next to where I was laying in bed. And then silence after that. I got this overwhelming feeling in my gut like I was going to cry and it was really weird. Then eventually I just fell asleep. How? Uh, yeah, I don't kid. The next day, my friend's husband tried to tell me it was the mice that they had been trying to deal with since they moved in. But I know what fucking mice, mice sound like in the walls and the floor. There was another experience of a door opening and closing without a draft or anybody touching it when it was shut up, shut tight. But that's even more boring. As for sleep paralysis demons and shadow figures, I've had sleep paralysis many times in my life, but there have only been a few times when I actually saw something. The first time I saw something was when I was staying at my boyfriend's house. He lives in the basement of his grandparents' house. His grandfather built the house and died in it. While I never saw or heard anything weird there, when I was paralyzed in bed, I always got a weird vibe from that place, particularly in the bedroom. So this one weekend I was staying over and we were both asleep in his room with the bedroom door open. I woke up because I felt someone watching me. I realized I couldn't move and I looked around to see if anyone was actually there. I couldn't open my eyes all the way, but I was able to open them enough to see that there was something standing in the doorway. 
It didn't look like a person, but it was a shadowy impression of legs. I don't know if there was any more body parts because I couldn't look up any further. I started to panic and I tried to wake my boyfriend, but I couldn't move no matter how hard I tried. After a while, I just gave in and went back to sleep and woke up the next day just feeling really uneasy. I don't know if this was paranormal or if it was just in my head, but it was terrifying. I saw what I assumed to be the same figure, but in full form a couple times after that, in the same position and in the same play. Uh, right in the doorway. I kind of got used to it after a while. I've always been fascinated with the paranormal and it's not easy to scare me. The last time I stayed in that house was after a hurricane a couple years ago that flooded the basement and he, he had to have it remodeled. In the process, he decided to knock the wall of the bedroom to make a living, the living room bigger and it turned and turned what was supposed to be the garage into a bedroom. It's a really weird house with a weird layout. I don't know how else to describe it, but anyways, so his bedroom is now in front of the apartment next to the kitchen. This is unimportant, actually. I'm the worst at telling stories. <laughs> uh, so we're both laying in bed one night and I'm laying on my back and I wake up with my left hand on my chest and I feel a weight pushing my arm down. I look down at my arm and all I can make out in the darkness is a black face, like jet black with big beady eyes and razor sharp teeth clamped down on my forearm. Fuck. It was hard to tell by looking at it, but I had thought it was female for some reason. She had stringy black hair. Sleep paralysis has always scared the fuck out of me, but this time was the worst. I'm sure it was only in my weird fucking brain, but it felt so real. I tried to shake her off, but I couldn't move. I did manage to get the words, get the fuck out, out of my mouth for sure, because my boyfriend told me the next morning that he thought he heard me say that. I've attached a shitty drawing of the bitch that sunk her teeth into my arse, into my arm. I took artistic liberties <laughs> into my arse, uh, arm. I took artistic liberties in drawing the rest of her body, which I couldn't see in the dark. A friend of mine suggested I name her Brenda, and I thought it was hilarious, so that's what I call now. Uh, thanks for being open to reading all this. I'm on case file 36 on Spotify and have been binging the pod for the last week or two. It's been a real comfort to me in these shitty times. I'm in the US. Uh, I don't know how I've just discovered you all. Happy, happy holiday season from TF. And uh, if you zoom in on me, oh! this is the drawing. Oh, Brenda. Brenda's fucked. Brenda is fucking scary, man. So she is exactly how to describe long, lanky, dark figure, stringy black hair, beady Why white she eyes. smiling? And Why fucking, she gonna be smiling? Yeah, a full terrifying. mouth of teeth. Don't smile, Brenda. Mm, don't like that. Fucking creepy. Mm. Did she say anything about any marks that were left on her forearm? No, she didn't. Uh, TF. It'd be interesting. Let us know. Let us know. Message us. Anything? Ghost feelings? Anyways. Hmm. Great. That's a good cool one. That's, that's, ugh. Fuck Brenda. Fuck I don't want to see Brenda. Brenda again. would be getting a big old uppercut from me. I don't want to see that bitch. Yeah. Nope. Scary. Oh, wait. We got a theory of the week? I got one. I'm going to bring it up right now. Is it the painting? Yeah. It's a painting that was posted by... Uh, did she put it on... Monroe. Last name's Monroe, I'm pretty sure. I didn't... I put it in the group. It's just go go scroll up in the group. I'll find it. Monroe. is Israel Monroe? Sounds right. I'll hear. I'll tell you. It's in. I put it in the group. Painted a so picture. Israel Monroe. Israel Monroe. Yes. Painted a picture. It's just an awesome picture. It says, believe in yourself. It's an alien. 
or no, it's a just believe in yourself with an alien and a UFO. Really well done. I actually Stick reached out around. and I'm buying it for the studio. I thought it's perfect. <laughs> so Israel Monroe, Theorite of the Week. It's amazing. You can check it out on our Facebook group. I'll probably post it to Instagram as well. It's awesome. The amount of artists on Discord and on our Facebook page who are way better artists and everything than us is unbelievable. Our fans are way cooler, way cooler than us. We've already established that. Yeah, it's more of a reason to get on Discord because you can network yourself with way fucking cooler people. <laughs> All right. If you're not supporting us on Patreon already, you can find the link and the podcast description or head to patreon.com slash alien theorist podcast for a Woo. bonus content after hours, early access, mm. a whole bunch of other goodies. This week's Patreon oh, yeah. supporters, Maggie Baker, Andy Riddix. A huge round of applause for Izzy, who went up from a $3 to the top tier legend. <laughs> a yearly pledge from Andrew. Is that you? You're, you're supporting the pod? Fuck no. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> it's like, I hate this thing. Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> Emily Owen, Brandy Fleming, probably the greatest name ever to come across. This or Patreon is $5 pledge by Zell is by far the best. I swear I didn't do that on my own. Yearly pledge. You're, you're supporting the podcast. I'm, I'm supporting the Plus podcast it. with our own money. <laughs> yearly pledge from Harry Balzania. Blake Stein and Francisco Guzman Terran. Thank you very much Woo. for supporting the show. We appreciate it. Woo. And as we always say at the end of these things, keep those eyes on the sky.